0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guest today is Christy Cunaria, the National Cancer Institute's Program Director for the Small Business Innovation Research Development Center. Uh, Christy, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, this is a, a special edition of Ask the CIO. Of course, you are not a CIO, quote unquote, but you do work in technology, and you are a finalist at the uh, for the Women in Technology Leadership Award. So uh, that's part of the reason why we're talking to you. But before we go down that path, let me just ask you, discuss what you do at the uh, SBIR Development Center. What is your role?
0: So I'm a program director at NCI's SBIR Development Center. That means that I help manage a portfolio of small businesses who are working on cutting edge early stage technology so Many people will probably recognize the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, as an agency that does a lot of research and funding for basic research. But what many people may not be aware of is that we also fund a lot of small businesses specifically for the purpose of doing sort of this cutting-edge innovative work that's in alignment with our agency's mission. And it's actually not just the NIH that does this. There are a number of agencies across the federal government that participate in this program.
1: The SBIR is one of those programs, without a doubt, that's been very successful to a certain point, and then we, they'll call it the Valley of Death. I'm sure you've heard that term before. So, as the as the program director, you are doing what day in and day out.
0: A lot of the time I'm spending working with my portfolio companies, helping them understand what their opportunities are. Also, so awarded companies that are in my portfolio, I'm also working a lot with folks who come in trying to get into the SBIR programs. So many people want to engage, and as part of the federal government, we want to make sure that we stimulate those small businesses so that they can be working on developing the next generation of technologies. And coming from the National Cancer Institute, For us, of course, it's really important that we support development of the next cancer cure, cancer care technology wave.
1: I imagine that when you look at the number of companies coming to you, your background's got to be in what? Is it research? Is it development? Is it IT?
0: That's such an interesting question. So for me, I'm not a cancer researcher by training. I am not a biologist by training. I'm actually a chemist. (laughs) Both my degrees are in chemistry. So for me, it's really interesting to come to my current position – and bring this perspective. When I was doing research at the bench, I did a lot of interdisciplinary work, working with physicists, working with biologists. And then I really appreciated that what was important for making these projects successful to move the research forward was to work from a from an interdisciplinary viewpoint, understanding that there were a lot of opportunities to bring in different points of view, different knowledge bases, to help for a common cause and moving technology forward. And so for me today, working at the NCISBR Development Center, I use my perspective in having developed technologies, platform technologies, not necessarily cancer, but understanding how those technologies work and helping apply them for cancer research.
1: How often does chemistry come up nowadays?
0: (laughs) Chemistry comes up a lot. All the time. All the time. (laughs) I mean, we have so many technologies. If you think about next generation sequencing for DNA, for RNA, a lot of that is based in chemistry. When you think about developing the next diagnostic assay, a lot of the materials you work with have to do with chemistry. Uh, So much of it comes back to that. Uh, But being able to incorporate all of that into our Portfolio, make sure that our, our portfolio is diverse uh, but still aligned with the Na- National Cancer Institute's mission. Uh, that's something that I, I bring to the job.
1: And as you walked into this job, part of it is understanding the technologies that the small businesses bring to you. They're not all going to be based in chemistry, they're not all necessarily going to be maybe based in, in deep research. There could be a lot of the IT side. Have you had to learn that IT side? Have you had to? pick up a little bit of programming or a little bit of like, okay, I better just understand when they talk about the software or the, the hardware pieces that they want to apply to their research, I better understand at least a little bit of it?
0: Technology continues to evolve. And even though I come from this, from the point of view of a chemist, absolutely, we have to stay on top of the more recent emerging technologies and things like information technology and ed- Artificial intelligence, machine learning, these are all different techniques that are coming up. These are all areas of, of development that are rising and getting implemented into our work, um, into the work that we fund. And as a program director, I personally, yes, have had to get more savvy with understanding how these technologies are going to be impactful for the for the research that we fund and for the work that we do as a federal government moving forward.
1: Was there something that you did specifically to do that, or is it just a matter of, I read articles, I did, did some, attended some webinars, I, whatever it was, I mean, or was there something like, did, was there a specific set of classes or training sessions that you went through? Because if you think about it, you're not so different than a contracting officer who's trying to buy certain technologies that they have to understand what how at least the basics of ai or or machine learning or you're not that much different than say a program manager who's working in the agriculture department so talk a little bit about how how you kind of uh, upskilled yourself
0: right so upskilling oneself uh given that no longer in school (laughs) the, the access that we have to information comes in different forms and as a program director I take advantage of, one, talking to my peers who are experts. The National Cancer Institute has a great workforce that is skilled in this area, working with them a lot. Taking advantage of going to conferences, scientific conferences, industry conferences, to understand what is developing. And as a bench scientist, that's what a lot of them do, is they go to these conferences to learn more, to exchange ideas and then sort of firsthand working to understand how we can integrate some of these technologies into, into what we do. So as, a, as an example, the National Cancer Institute in the past has put out different funding opportunities. Uh, I helped develop one of these, and that uh, funding opportunity was designed to support the analysis of images that clinicians take. So if you think about, for example, a patient who gets CT scans. There is a whole team of clinicians who get together, look at those scans, deliberate on them, document their thoughts, and then plan the treatment. What if we could leverage technologies like machine learning, like AI, to help those clinicians reduce the downtime that they spend in documenting some of these things? increase the time that they can spend with patients, and therefore improve patient care. That's an example of one of the funding opportunities that we developed here at the National Cancer Institute. And as a leader in the federal government, part of our role is to help make sure that these technologies get integrated into the work that we fund.
1: One of the pieces of SBIR is you guys do put out those funding opportunities, and, and then small businesses or whomever respond and, and, and to say, hey, we could help with that, or here's our way we think we could, we could meet, help you meet your goals. Are you Your team, I guess I should say, who puts out these funding opportunities, they they come from the mission areas, they come from where?
0: So we come in with a group of diverse program directors, and we work very closely with other researchers, with other staff at the NCI. And we internally try to come up with an understanding for what's the quote-unquote white space in the research areas today. We try to understand where the opportunities are for development and growth in what the small business community is doing, And we work to develop solicitations, funding opportunities for small businesses to engage. If you recognize that more than 99% of small businesses make up enterprise in the U.S., then you understand that these are the companies that are going to be nimble enough to address the needs of the federal government. And that's why we do what we do.
1: One of the reasons we're talking today is not just because you have a, this great story to talk about with SBIR, but because of the women in technology, and, and this group has has named you one of the finalists in their annual awards, uh, which is one. Congratulations! So that's it's a great honor to to be recognized by by peers and, and by others to say, hey, the work you're doing not just matters, but is is a, is in a, in a leading way. But maybe talk a little bit more about instead of just talking about the award and what does it mean. We we know you're honored, probably. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit more about. How, How does being named to something like this kind of capture what you do day in and day out, qualities you bring to that job? And and we've talked a lot about your background, but what does it mean to be, if you will, a woman in technology at this time of of society?
0: I will say I am very honored to be recognized by the women in technology. When I think of leaders and, and impactful leaders, I think of people who have empathy. And by that, I mean people who recognize the value of diverse perspectives to get them to to better solutions. I believe that's strong enough because I see that in the work that I do today. I'm very fortunate to have a supervisor who has convened a group of program directors that is diverse. For example, if you look at the program director makeup in in our office, half of them are women. I'm very proud to be able to say that And from our office, we have representation from different technical backgrounds and expertise, but also in in various cultural experiences. And what that enables us to do is to appreciate the differences, different perspectives, and we apply that, and I apply that, in my work as a program director. When I look at the people who come to the SBIR Development Center for funding, I try to keep an open mind about who they are, where they're coming from, where their ideas are coming from, because you can't really predict where the next best idea is coming from and you don't want to shut anyone out
1: that diversity of of thought that diversity of of backgrounds talk a little bit about how that helps you guys when you get in a room together and you're you're deciding on hey we should fund this or fund that how does that kind of come together because i think it's easy to say well good idea is a good idea but because of half the group is women and, and, and because it's a group of diverse backgrounds from a culture perspective, too. Everyone brings their own set of viewpoints.
0: I will say because of the way that funding decisions are made here at NCI, uh, the first rubric we use to decide on funding is how well review panels score an application. Once they come into NCI SBIR and we have an opportunity to deliberate further, we absolutely look at who's the team, what kind of expertise do they have, what kind of problems are they trying to address. Are they things that we think are important? And as program directors, we do bring a lens to that and try to make sure that our portfolio is diverse in the types of cancer indications that we're looking to support, in the types of companies that are coming in, where they're coming from, and what they're trying to do.
1: I imagine that first set of decision is probably some double blind. You get a number, like college applications. We really don't quite understand how it happens, but somehow they, they pick people. I mean, I imagine it works that way in some way.
0: Yes, so at the Center for Scientific Review, there is a panel of expert peers, ideally, who are reviewing applications. One of the beauties of NIH's review process is that program directors like myself are completely separated from the review process. What that allows me to do is be an advocate for our applicants who come into the program I do not get to inform how the scores are made, (laughs) but uh, we are trying to work closely with review panels and help them understand what we're trying to do through our SBIR programs because if you look at the SBIR policy directive, the number three mission statement on there is to increase participation by women and traditionally underrepresented individuals in entrepreneurship, and so that's something that we are trying to do uh, good work on. And as an example of that, one of the programs that I help administer here at NCI is called the Applicant Assistance Program. And this is a program designed not for our awardees, but for people who come in hoping to become awardees. And through the program, we aim to provide support for folks who are new to the SBIR programs or who have never received successfully an SBIR grant. We work through the AAP program to help get them to put together a complete application and submit it to the federal government because we understand that that alone can be a hurdle. And so we hope to do that. In particular, we very much encourage women and uh, traditionally underrepresented individuals to participate in that program. And our hope is that we can get them engaging in entrepreneurship through SBIR.
1: And there's a ton of uh, consultants who would love to take their money too, so the fact you guys are providing the service is obviously very important. Uh, Christy, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Christy Canaria, the National Cancer Institute's Program Director for the SBIR Development Center. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Christy Canaria, the National Cancer Institute's program director for the Small Business Innovation Research Development Center. Now, Christy, before break, we got to know you a little bit, got to know your your background and, and, and your chemist, which is pretty awesome. Now you're in the SBIR program looking at research. But let's talk a little bit about your role at the NCI, but let's take a step back and talk about the leadership side of it, and being a leader, running a program, being a program director, requires a bunch of different skill sets. Earlier in the show, you mentioned empathy as a big skill set. What other skill sets are you seeing that's emerging, or you've had to kind of develop over the last five, ten, twenty years?
0: So, if I could launch off of empathy, uh, that would again mean thinking about and considering the team you're working with as a leader, understanding how everyone operates. I think the best leaders take advantage and. I think the best leaders take advantage of the team that they have, will also build onto the team that they have to, to fill in any you know knowledge gaps, as an example. As a leader today, though, you have to be really cognizant of what your team needs and really understand what is the mission and the goal that you're trying to achieve. And if you can align those two, then I think you'll be in a good situation to get good work done in the federal government.
1: When you talk about empathy, it's understanding other people's positions, understanding where they're coming from, their backgrounds. How do you ensure that that gets out? Because it's it's easy to say, oh, well, I'm empathetic, but if I never ask... Mary or, or Joe or Susie or, or whoever, what, what do you think or, or how do you feel? Well, they don't talk, so I imagine they're fine, right? I mean, how, how do you kind of balance that?
0: No, th- that's absolutely true. So when I think of empathy, I consider that more of an internal activity. You're looking around, you're surveying, you're understanding your surrounding. But in coupled to that is communication, and that is more of an not just an external, but actually an interactive process, So once you understand as a leader your team's dynamics, how they operate, understanding the communication styles that will work best with each individual will help you get the results that you need as a leader. So absolutely, being able to engage with them, not just understand them, but actually to engage with them, that that action is sort of the other half of it in being a good leader.
1: Engagement can mean so many different things, right? Emails, engagement, team Slack, whatever you guys use, if you use those, those are that's engagement. And then, of course, there's interpersonal, there's meetings, and then there's one-on-one. From a technology perspective, sometimes tech people tend to be maybe a little more introverted. Maybe you have one or two very strong personalities in a room. How, how do you balance all that? Because you want to make sure everyone gets heard so you have that of thought.
0: So there are absolutely different styles for different people. And as, the, as a leader, you need to be willing to accommodate some of those in order to m- meet your mission, right? And so, uh, you know, we take advantage of the different modes of technology that we have to facilitate that. If we're lucky enough to be in the same office building together, you know, a quick walk gets you some steps yeah. <laughs> on your pedometer and you get some conversations happening. A lot of times, telephone is great. We utilize technology like teleconferences, like video conferencing a lot to help facilitate that. It's not just communication within our team, but external from our team, because a lot of our stakeholders for NCISBIR are, are the people who are applying to the program. And so we leverage technology a lot that way. We, we leverage in-person, when we can afford that time, um, outreach, to, to different groups, to different universities. But we will also record and disseminate webinars. Um, and that's another way that we can help scalably provide our message out to the community.
1: Do you guys do a lot of telework?
0: In terms of telework? Our Just office-
1: like your, your employees, yeah.
0: Yeah. So in terms of telework, um, the program staff each get about a day of telework. And some of our contracting staff also take advantage of the telework.
1: Does, does that add a different challenge to you as a leader to to ensure that you're having the communication that hey it's it's easy to to get up and get your steps in and go across say i'm gonna go see somebody and talk to them but if they're not at their desk if they're at home i'll just see them tomorrow like like do you have to kind of train yourself as a leader to be like nope if i need to talk to someone a I'll call them up or I'll, I'll make sure. I'll, I'll, again, I'll use the, the instant messaging type of communication.
0: I, I personally have had to grow in this uh, arena. Um, I've also had to battle with the IT features on my <laughs> <laughs> workstation. <laughs> you know, when someone's away, it's easy to think, oh, I'll just talk to them on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, but things like Instant chatting are, are really important to stay connected, um, a lot of text messaging. I've become a real fan of just making cold calls, personally. I appreciate a good cold call because I actually get more done that way rather than actually trying to schedule a 15-minute meeting. Um, I've been really surprised pleasantly <laughs> by how much work I can get done that way.
1: Now, you're more surprised by how much work you're getting and the fact that someone actually picked up their phone because if you're working with... With all due respect to our millennial friends, uh, the telephone, uh, it's not its not Instagram or it's not a, a text message. Yes, no, you can call somebody, right? <laughs> yes,
0: the, the fact that you can call someone is amazing. One thing that I will say is a bonus working as a program director at the NCISBR Development Center is that in my role, I help make funding decisions. And so when someone sees my phone number on their phone, they are very happy to pick
1: very very good point. Very good point. Um, the other piece of this is when we talk about leadership and technology is when you get a room and you're, you are making those decisions uh, and, and we talk about the diversity of thought again, is there an approach you've taken or an approach that works for you to ensure that everyone around the table gets their fair share of say? And, and maybe somebody who is a little more introverted, maybe you have to go to them after the fact or someone who is more thoughtful. They can send you an email. How have you kind of worked out to ensure that there's not this tell me now or forever hold your peace type of discussion and people feel maybe left out or, or not part of the discussion?
0: So I take a page from the strong leaders that I've had in my experience. And the way that we operate is we make sure that discussion happens and then we take time to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to say their piece. Perhaps that means we spend a lot of time (laughs) discussing a single issue, but it's so important that we make sure that those voices all get heard because not everyone is going to be the person shouting up in the room. We have within our team extroverts. We have introverts. We have people who need time to process. And so we try to make sure that we include ideas from everyone through, that, through those steps of taking time to be thoughtful about how we collect the information back from our team members.
1: This approach, I think, whether it's your approach or just more generally, the, the approach to management has definitely evolved over the last 15, 20 years. Give me a sense of what you see as what's different today than maybe it was when you first started out or when you first became a manager.
0: When I think about 20 years ago versus today, I think about how how job advancement happens, how job stability has changed. The example I want to share, 20 years ago, I was working at a small business startup in San Diego. It was a biotechnology company. This would have been 2000. And this was sort of the middle edge of the dot-com and the biotech bubbles. And when I think back to that time, I'm reminded of two individuals I knew. One of them was a research chemist at my company. And that person in a two-year period stayed at that position, Another individual I knew worked at a different company, also started as a research chemist. But because of the turnover that was happening in San Diego at that time with a lot of biotechs, companies were coming up, they were going down, (laughs) new ones were popping up. And this individual, this other individual, ended up in a two-year period being at three different positions. And at the end of that two years, he had gone from a research chemist, switched tracks to management, and had landed as a vice president at a biotech company. And so when I think of things that stay the same, they are that every opportunity, every (laughs) job change brings an opportunity for advancement and professional development. But when I think about what's different, I think about the stability of those jobs that may be um, around today versus 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, we were in a cycle of a lot of change in terms of small business startups. uh, Whereas today, I think the the half-life for a small business uh, is on the order of five to six years.
1: Now, you work in the small business world. Does that scare you? You're giving them funding opportunities, and well, hopefully they'll be around. I mean, especially SBIR. These tend to be, even though they're, they're maybe one-year money or two-year money, they, they still tend to be long-term efforts.
0: So the reality of what we do in SBIR is that we are funding early-stage projects. These are supposed to be high-risk projects. And from my perspective, if we can give... Companies, the opportunity to try something new because, again, these are the small businesses that are nimble, they're able to pivot in terms of the direction that they're working in. If we can give them the capital they need to do that, that's to our benefit. If they can even fail fast, that's something that we want them to do because the next opportunity is there. And with a program like SBIR, which has been around since the 80s, there is an opportunity for them to continue doing that good work. One of the programs that I manage is called the I-Corps at NIH program, and this is a program that we developed back in 2014, and it's designed to support small businesses that are new to the to the entrepreneurship world. A lot of times, these will be early stage startups, um, brand new startups. Maybe the researchers are on the on the company teams are are very recently from academia. You know, through the NIH SBIR, we've supported them for doing the R&D technical work. But through a program like NIH at i we are then supporting them to understand the commercialization aspects around an early-stage project. We want them to understand, okay, you're working on thing X, but why and for whom? And if you can under- understand those things early on, you can make pivots if needed. And And for us, the NIH, for the NCI, and for the small businesses – That's something that we can both agree on. We want success for them. And if they're not going down the right path, we want to identify that early before we go down too much time and with too many dollars.
1: The fail fast piece is so important. I mean, especially when you talk about the funding of of research, whether it's for the National Cancer Institute or more broadly through NIH. From a leadership perspective, that also you 're not just managing the internal people you're also managing the external people, and that takes a different set of skills as well. Maybe talk walk me through a little bit of what skill sets you 've kind of pulled from your experience to help with these small businesses and and you know small businesses can be tough people to manage
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i I absolutely pull from my experience in having worked at a small business the startup that I was in is no longer a small company; they are arguably too big. <laughs> too big. <laughs> they're arguably too big. But having worked in a small business, I understand the type of mentality it takes to succeed, to work day in, day out. And I bring that keen understanding to my work in interfacing with those individuals coming into the SBIR program. Because the reality for them is that if they are a driven entrepreneur, their life is the company that they're working on. They have stress levels (laughs) that are on a different level from perhaps what uh, you or I normally deal with. Um, And and so understanding where they're coming from, understanding their perspective, helps me provide them with the resources they need in a fashion that they can readily accept.
1: I think that it's one thing to manage internal staff. But when you bring in that external set of people, it becomes difficult because you really you're not in charge of them. You're just trying to give them advice. They can listen to you or not. And it's, so it becomes a presentation. Well, here's your choices. Here's, here's what I see is your, 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 opportunities and, and, you know, the, the pitfalls you can fall into and you can do what you want. And, and if they make a bad decision or they make a decision that you don't agree with, you kind of have to step back and be like, that's not my problem. I mean, in, in that broader sense, but, Knowing as well that there's a lot of risk in the SBIR program, sometimes maybe that's okay, and sometimes maybe that risk pays off.
0: It's so much a matter of framing where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. As a program director, I often remind people that I am there as an advocate for them, and that is usually enough to help them understand (laughs) that we are in alignment for their success. Because the reality is, when you look at the funding rates at the NIH, they're not that high. Uh, And so helping people understand where they are in terms of leveraging opportunities is something that I can do for them. And being able to communicate with them to let them understand that I'm here to help them, that I'm a resource for them, is is one of the messages we try to get across.
1: It's probably your your, your biggest role, your biggest opportunity to make sure they understand that. I think that's a good point. Uh, Christy, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Christy Canaria, the Program Director for the SBIR Development Center at the National Cancer Institute. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Christy Canaria, the Program Director for the Small Business Innovation Research Development Center at the National Cancer Institute. Christy, before break, we talked a little bit about what it's like to be a federal manager today. We talked a little bit about how it's changed over the years. One of the things about being a federal manager and and working in both internal and external facing customers, if you will, or or co-workers and customers, is you see a lot, you experience a lot. So other managers, other people, what what kind of advice would you have for them?
0: So for other managers, what I would say is that we need to really be paying attention to the pipeline. If we think about who we are, supervising the folks that we manage and their professional careers? How do we continue to ensure that the federal government has a strong workforce? Part of that is going to be looking at our pipeline, and by that I mean up and down and to the side. But especially with those coming up from behind, I believe that providing them with strong mentorship, strong examples through leadership – Is one thing that we can do pretty easily because that should be part of our role as leaders in the federal government, as managers.
1: We hear a lot about mentorship. Is that something that you're able to take part in, or is there something that happens within the SBIR Development Center?
0: So mentorship happens in a lot of different ways. I personally have been mentored by amazing individuals, men and women, throughout my career. At the National Cancer Institute, we actually do have programming available for program directors like myself and others to take advantage, to get support, to continue professional development for ourselves. But in the the office, I try to mentor those around me as well. One thing that's interesting about our office is that we are comprised by a large number of AAAS Science and Tech Policy fellows. And so that is a program that we have appreciated very much uh, because individuals who go through that program are very talented, multi multi-talented with a capacity for, for leadership and incorporating their scientific background for, for science policy. And so for myself, I was fortunate to be mentored by fellows ahead of me, and I try to give that back by providing support to the fellows who come after me.
1: I'm going to throw just a little bit of a curveball. Is there a best piece of advice you've ever gotten from a mentor? Is there is there anything or a book that you've read that someone has said, oh, you've got to read this book, and that's it's changed your life I, from, a, of course, a professional perspective?
0: <laughs> I have uh, I have a trusted mentor in my circle, and she spoke to me in terms that she thought I would understand given that I work with small businesses and SBIR. And she said, Christy, take a look at these companies. They all have scientific boards of advisors. You, Chrissy, are your own most valuable, most important enterprise. You should have your own board of advisors. And I thought about this and I thought, you know what? Yes, I should have my own board of advisors. And what that did was it helped me to look critically at my own skill set, where I had strengths, where I had opportunities for growth, and identify where I need help. And what that also allowed me to do was feel empowered about how I approach relationships moving forward. I can do that now with earnest and sincerity and authenticity because I believe that every relationship that we build is a two-way street. So someone who might have information for me about how to develop X in my own personal, professional, personal development um, can still get something from me. Um, as a mentee, and so I engage in both uh, mentorship with differentials, um, but I also engage in peer mentorship as well. And so I think that's really important: understanding where your where your strengths and opportunities for growth are, and building your own personal board of advisors is something that anyone can do.
1: The biggest challenges I see, though, is time. Right, as as a manager. You are putting out fires. You are dealing with your day-in-day and work. So do you carve out a portion of your week, a portion of your day, a portion of your month to say I'm going to go meet with two or three different people to to just have that conversation, have a cup of coffee or or have have lunch so, so you can t- discuss, hey, I'm finding this challenge. How do you – help me solve it.
0: I don't know if it's okay to name drop.
1: <laughs> I think it's okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> so when I was going through the AAAS uh, Science and Tech Policy Program – we had a speaker come and talk to us, and it was Artie Prabhakar. And she was formerly the, um, she led DARPA. She was also an alum of Caltech, <laughs> where I also did my PhD, and i was just such a big fan of hers. And one thing that she shared was that she actually set out and carved out from her weekly schedule time for her own personal professional development. And she said, it, it's just so important. To continue your personal development because that trickles down into, the, in, into what the enterprise itself is doing. And so building strong leadership within yourself will provide benefit for your company, for your program, for your office. And that is time worth spending. So after hearing that, I do try to spend a portion of my schedule blocked out. To think about what I need to do to facilitate relationships, both for my personal professional development, but also for the office's development.
1: That's probably the thing that federal managers, as we've talked to them over the years, uh, that's the biggest challenge they've had is they're so – the day is so busy. You're working already – You know, five days, sometimes six, sometimes more. You know, it's not just eight hours a day. You don't come in at nine and leave at five, and it's long days. So, So, how do you kind of carve that piece out? So, it's great to hear that you're able to do that, but not just able to do that. You seem to, hopefully, you're able to do it regularly. One of the big challenges is, and you've addressed this, is getting the diversity of thought in the room. But it's it's keeping that diversity of thought. It's it's ensuring that you are hiring women, people of color, other perspectives. So maybe talk a little bit about how to encourage more women to get into the STEM field. What were what some of the barriers you see?
0: When I think about getting women into the STEM field, again, it's about that pipeline, right? Because we have the workforce that we have now, but the question is really how do we improve that moving forward? So what I think is that we can continue to developing our communications to support and encourage folks to engage in the STEM fields. For example, as an office, we celebrated recently the International Women and Girls uh, in Science, International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And and our office, uh, through our social media team, came up with this uh, wonderful little campaign where we got quotes from the different women program directors in our office and shared them. And we've gotten so much positive response from that. But that's one of the ways we can continue to signal to the community that we want more more folks engaging in the STEM fields. So that's, I think that's just one one thing that we can do. But, but when we look at uh, the STEM fields and let's say biology as one vertical, we've already, we're at parity, if you will. The workforce there is 50%, if not more, women. But that isn't enough. It's not enough to just be present. What we really want to do is push that up to the next level. And so how do we signal to folks that If they want to become leaders themselves in this field, if you're a a woman or if you're a person who has traditionally been underrepresented in the STEM fields or in small business, these are opportunities that are available to you if you want to take them. And so for me, I believe that 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 next step is, is making sure that we communicate to others that these resources are there and that they're available for taking. And part of what our office does is create some of that programming for folks to take advantage of.
1: It's so so simple, right? You said, let's just get some comments or some some video of people, women in in science and technology and engineering math fields and put them on social media and and just celebrate it. It seems so simple, right? But but the idea is sometimes those simple ideas have such a big effect. Uh, Is there something you guys are doing uh, on – okay, so that's to celebrate a specific – uh, International Women and, and Girls in STEM Day. But is there is there something you guys are able to do kind of on a more regular basis? Do you, do you go out and talk? Do you recruit internships? Uh, if, if other people want to be involved in the STEM field, is there a way to, that you guys are promote it more regularly?
0: So we have a couple of different outlets, uh, avenues that we utilize. Of course, um, communications um, through our office is is one of them. Um We have programming that we've developed as well. One of the programs that I help administer is called the Applicant Assistance Program, and we actively um, encourage women and underrepresented individuals to take advantage of these programs. Um, That one in particular is is aimed at helping folks actually apply to the SBIR um, programs because many of them don't, uh, don't recognize that these are opportunities that are available to them, <laughs> that that Congress has actually mandated us, the NCI, to spend money in supporting small businesses uh, who are working in these areas. And, and on top of that, part of our policy directive is to increase participation by women and minorities, um, to participate participation by women in underrepresented individuals in entrepreneurship. That is so much about what we do. The other thing that we can do is lead by example. And when, uh, when program directors like myself go out across the country, give one-on-one presentations to universities, to incubators, to let them know that these programs like the SBIR are available, programs like application assistance, applicant assistance programs are available, programs like the i at NIH program are available. My hope is that they get to see someone like me, in this position providing these resources, and I think being able to lead by example is one of those things. So if you can see that a, a woman, let's say minority, <laughs> possibly ambiguous ethnicity, is up there talking about these opportunities, making sure that it's signaled that these opportunities are available to you, our hope is that those folks will then engage.
1: As you go out and talk to small businesses, are you seeing more women, more underserved populations involved or interested? What what's what's the current if you will what's the current view look like today versus again maybe 3 years ago, 5 years ago, 10 years ago?
0: That's a great question. We we as scientists, we want we all want to be able to get some <laughs> metrics behind this. More data, right? More data, more data is more better. <laughs> One of the things that we struggle with, however, is that we don't have good data. Up until very recently, the SBIR program's ability to track things like women and underrepresented individuals in engagement with SBIR has been through self-certification. And for a variety of reasons, folks will fill that out and they won't fill that out. And so for us to be able to have a true understanding for what kind of impact we're making with our messaging, with our communication, with our programming has been difficult. But if we take snapshots uh, of where we are today, um, I would say that we are moving the needle. We still have a lot of work to do, but we, <laughs> we are motivated to do that. We are committed to doing that. Um, we see really great engagement with women in terms of applying to the SBR program. Now, understanding how many of those companies are actually led or co-led by women or underserved individuals is something that we're still trying to get a grasp on. But absolutely, we're, we're starting to see engagement, and we want to just continue that trend.
1: Th- this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time, but I'm going to ask you to step back for a second and, and not just be a federal manager, but look at it from a perspective of being a woman in a leadership role in, in the technology world. Do you get a sense that it's a pretty good time to be a very good time to be a woman in technology and, and not just because you're a finalist for the, the award?
0: <laughs> so there are a lot of ways to answer that. But I will say yes, absolutely. This is a good time to be a woman, to be an underrepresented individual working in the STEM fields. I will say that a lot of credit to where we are today goes to those who came before us, people who've helped forge those paths but I do think that it's a good time because we have so many folks in leadership in leadership positions who understand that the time is now, and I believe that we are in a good position because we have active programming that is available for folks now, and we have people who want to see others succeed. and And part of what I do uh, in my job is is to make sure that we provide those opportunities so that we can meet that shared mission. Of creating great solutions for for people moving forward.
1: And In many ways, you're being a, a chemist with a PhD from Caltech. You check all the great boxes because, and then, but then when you go talk to the SBR people, they probably also give you that good feeling, that that excitement, that motivation to also continue along because of of you, it's it's progress. Whether whether they're winning awards or not, the fact they're showing up, putting their applications in. And rolling the dice. I mean, those are all what what you want out of hopefully a job is is is, is to see progress.
0: We <laughs> we all strive to be in a job where we see fulfillment. I will also add that uh, for me and my background, having worked in a biotech company, having worked in government labs, and now working in the federal government side, it's this wonderful interface of multiple disciplines, right? And I remember working in small business biotech. The excitement was in not knowing where you were going to end up, um, but sort of just having this faith that you were doing good work and this would lead somewhere. For the company that I worked at, it was small. It's not small today anymore, um, but that feeling of being on the edge of something great is something that I really held on to and carried on even 20 years later. And so for me working as a program director, getting to interface again with small businesses who are at that same point is extremely exciting and it helps motivate me to do what I do.
1: Excellent. Well, first of all, let me thank my guest. Christy Canaria is the uh, program director for the Small Business Innovation Research Development Center at the National Cancer Institute. Christy, thank you so much for your time. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm Jason Miller and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.